Welcome to the Thinking to Believe podcast. Great to have you on board today. My name is Jason Dooley, and I am the host. And you have found a place where thinking is believing. So if you like to think, if you are open to belief or you are a believer, then you have found the right place. We are still in the midst of our examination of the Kalam cosmological argument. This is now uh, part 12, and it's been exciting for me. I hope you've been enjoying this as well. In our last episode, we began to look at who the cause is. We've already established that the Kalam cosmological argument is successful, that there is a cause to the universe, but what is that cause? And we explored several options. We looked at the material option. Is there some sort of physical object that could be the explanation of the universe? And said, no, that can't be it, because that would require that physical reality exist prior to physical reality, and that's nonsensical. We said, well, could it be a natural law? I said, no, it can't be a natural law because natural laws only come into being when nature comes into being. They don't have any sort of existence outside of nature. They're just mental concepts. It's ways that humans observe nature, nature's behavior, and we call that natural law. Well, could it be self-caused? Again, no, that's like giving birth to yourself. You would have to exist prior to your existence, and that's logically incoherent. Well, maybe it was human observers that created the universe. This one had so many problems, I can barely summarize, but uh, it would require backward causation, um, it's circular reasoning, etc. So that can't be it. We explored mathematical laws and said, no, mathematical laws don't really exist. And if they did, they don't have any causal power. So that can't be it. Abstract objects, could they explain the cause of the universe? Um, no, because number one, you'd have to argue that there are such things as abstract objects. And even if you were successful, the defining feature of abstract objects is that they don't stand in causal relationships with concrete objects. So they could not cause the universe by definition. So all, what is that, five or six options we had there, none of those are adequate to explain the effect in question. And so we said, well, maybe somebody could take a more agnostic approach and say, well, maybe there's some unidentified cause. You know, we don't know what the cause is yet, but eventually we'll find that. And I think that's sort of a misguided faith. And even though it would be an act of humility and hopefulness, if there were no other options, like we couldn't even think of any other possibilities, then there might be something to say for that approach of just saying, well, we don't know yet, but hopefully we will eventually. But there is another option, and that's the option we're going to talk about today. God. Could God be the cause of the universe? Is God sufficient as a causal agent to produce the effect that we see, namely the universe? I think that uh, God is the best explanation, but obviously I have to argue for that. I don't think that theism wins by default. In other words, it would be a uh, an example of bad reasoning if I said, well, all of the other possibilities fail, therefore it must be God. That, that would be wrong. You can, you can only argue that way when you have a true dichotomy where there's only two options and any evidence against one option is automatically evidence for the other. Um, but in this case, it's not a dichotomy. There's multiple options. And just because the other five or six options are invalid, 
does not mean thereby theism wins by default. It could be that theism is also invalid, that theism itself cannot explain the the universe. And if that were the case, then the position that says, well, we just don't know, and hopefully we'll find out one day, that would be valid. But we had would first have to eliminate the God hypothesis, put that on the ash heap along with all the others before we take that option. So should we do that? Should we consider God as a failed hypothesis as well? Well, I'm going to argue that no, that God is not a failed hypothesis, but actually the God hypothesis fits the data to a T and is the best explanation for where the universe came from. And not best in the sense of it's the best of all the failures, but it's the best in a positive sense that it actually there's good reason to believe God is the cause of the universe. Now, does God have the necessary attributes that we had previously determined that a first cause needs? Immateriality, non-spatial, eternal, powerful? Yes. A theistic being is conceived of as an immaterial, eternal, spaceless, and powerful being. So God checks off the boxes there. But additionally, God has two other attributes that are necessary to the first cause that require, therefore, then this first cause to be some sort of a personal agent. Now, I've already previously identified what those um, attributes were, namely intelligence and volition. I just didn't argue for why I think those are attributes of the first cause. But now I'm going to actually argue for these attributes and demonstrate why the first cause must be intelligent and why the first cause must be must have volition and how both of these together argue that there was a personal agent who is the cause of the universe. It can't just be any old cause. It has to be a personal agent. So for the first attribute of intelligence, let's consider that. When you look at the universe and you look at what science is telling us about the universe, we have discovered that it exhibits an exquisite amount of fine-tuning and complexity, where things have to be just right to an unimaginable degree in order for the universe to exist, in order for life to exist in the universe. And so not only are the values of the physical constants exquisitely fine-tuned for a life-permitting universe, but the initial conditions of the universe exhibit a level of fine-tuning that literally is beyond comprehension. And I will have a separate uh, series of, of podcasts in which I discuss what was called the teleological argument, or we'll go into this in much more detail. But for now, just take my word for it that there is this fine-tuning where things have to be just right in order for the universe to exist and for life to exist. Well, whatever caused such fine-tuning in the universe would have to be extremely intelligent. And intelligence is a feature of the mind. So it would follow, therefore, that the first cause must be a personal agent. The first cause must possess the property of volition as well. This is what we refer to as the, the willing, the power of will, the power of choice, if you will. No pun intended. To understand why the first cause must have the powers of volition, we have to understand the nature of cause and effect. When causes are present, 
the effect immediately follows. There's never any temporal gap between the presence of the cause and the effect. So whenever you have you know, sufficient and necessary conditions that are present, the effect will always come into being. So if you think about a match as an example, when you strike the match against some abrasive surface, that's the cause, the necessary and sufficient conditions in order for a match to light. That, that's what they are. You strike the match against an abrasive surface. As soon as that condition is met, as soon as that cause is present, what happens? The match immediately lights. Could you imagine a world in which you strike the match, but it doesn't light? You set it down, and then five minutes later, it just decides to light, or maybe it decides 10 minutes later, or 10 years later. It could just decide whenever it wanted to. No, there, there is no temporal gap. As long as the uh, conditions that are necessary and sufficient to light that match are present, then the match will light immediately. There is no gap in time between them. So if you had lit the match, or I should say if you struck the match, an eternity ago, when would the match have lit? Well, it would have lit an eternity ago, because that's when the necessary and sufficient conditions for lighting the match were present. It would be impossible to strike the match an eternity ago and yet not see the effect of the light ma- uh, of the match lighting until a finite time ago. If it was struck an eternity ago, it could not light a finite time ago. It would have to have lit an eternity ago. Because once the causal agent is present, the effect always immediately follows. So let's apply this then to the universe. If the cause of the universe existed eternally, well, then it would follow that the effect namely the coming into being of the universe, would also be eternal because you can't have a cause without its corresponding effect. So if the cause is eternally present, its effect must be eternally present. But we know that the universe began to exist a finite time ago. So any sort of eternal thing like a, you know, a force or a principle or an abstract object All of those things would be causes that exist from eternity past. Therefore, the universe would have to exist from eternity past. But we know the universe hasn't existed from eternity past. Therefore, the cause of the universe can't be some sort of impersonal force or abstract object, natural law, mathematical law, or anything like that. It has to be something different. This actually creates a problem because if the universe began to exist a finite time ago and it could only do so if its cause was present at the same time. That means that the cause of the universe must have been present a finite time ago. Now you might be saying at this point, wait a second, (laughs) this contradicts our earlier finding that one of the essential properties of the cause of the universe is that it's eternal. Because now we're saying Well, if the cause was eternally present, then the universe would have existed from an eternity ago. And that's not true. So is it maybe that the cause cannot be eternal? Maybe it has to be finite? I mean, it definitely seems it's going to be finite in some sense, because we know if the universe began to exist a finite time ago, 
and there can be no delay between causes and effects, and it seems as though the cause must have been present a finite time ago in order to bring the effect into being. So how do we solve this problem? I mean, is the cause eternal or is the cause temporal? Well, I think there's only one plausible scenario in which you can have a cause exist eternally, but the effect take place a finite time ago. And that is when you have an act of volition by a personal agent. Because a personal agent can exist prior to exercising his volitional powers. You could have an eternal person who exists, who chooses not to exercise his powers of volition to create the universe until a specific point in time. The causal agent himself, the one who has these volitional powers, could be eternal, but then for whatever reason, at a, at a given specific time, the personal agent decides to cause something without any prior determining conditions. As an eternal being, God has always existed, but he delayed the exercise of his volitional powers to create the universe until a time that pleased him to do so. So he existed eternally, but the cause that... Uh, brought the universe into being existed at the time that the universe came into being. God made a decision to create at that moment and the effect comes into being simultaneous with the cause. So the cause literally did happen a finite time ago when God brought the universe in, into being. God's causal act is the very first moment of time and it is simultaneous with the effect. As William Lane Craig observes, he says, if the cause of the universe were an impersonal set of necessary and sufficient conditions, it could not exist without its effect. The only way for the cause to be timeless and changeless, but for its effect to originate de novo a finite time ago, is for the cause to be a personal agent who freely chooses to bring about an effect without antecedent determining conditions. So the cause that brought the universe into being was a specific act of volition made by a personal agent. How is it that the effect could be finite in the past? Because the cause was finite in the past. But how can it be that the cause of the universe has to be eternal? Because God as, as a personal agent has always existed. So unlike you know a principle or a force, there is no act of choosing in, in a, a, a force or a principle. It's the same all the time. The principle is always there. Therefore, the necessary and sufficient conditions for the effect are always there. But with a personal agent who can um, choose to do something, who can exercise his will to do something at a time that he so chooses, that satisfies both conditions. It allows us to have an eternal causer, but who does not actually cause the effect until a finite time ago. So God has always had, you could say, an eternal intention to create, but he did not exercise that act of volition to create. He didn't act on that intention, if you will, until the very moment of creation. And that 
volitional act is the very first moment of time. So we have an eternal being who exercises his volitional powers a finite time ago, and yet the being himself exists from eternity. Again, William Lane Craig writes, as a free agent, God is able to exercise his causal power without any antecedent determining conditions. That is what differentiates a personal agent from an impersonal cause. Such an exercise is a change in God, which plausibly draws him into time at that moment. Thus, the moment of God's creating the universe is the moment at which the universe begins to exist. So God exists changelessly, though not immutably, without creation, with a timeless intention that a world with a beginning exists. And I might, I might add to his, when he says, so God exists changelessly without creation, I would say, and so God exists eternally without creation, with a timeless intention that a world with a beginning exists. And by exercising his causal power, bring such a world into being at the first moment of time. Of course, it makes no sense to ask why God didn't exercise his causal power sooner, since there was no sooner. So to sum this up, Volition is a necessary property for the first cause because volition is the only way that you can have a causer that exists for eternity. And yet the exercising of the cause or the, so the, the presence of the cause to produce a specific effect happens in time. A principle, a force, there, you can't delay, you know, the, as soon as the force is existent, then the effect would be existent. But in the case of the universe, we have to have a cause that is eternal, and yet somehow also the cause had to happen a finite time ago. The only way you can do that is if you have a causer that exists eternally, but has the the powers of volition to be able to delay these specific, sufficient, and necessary conditions to bring the effect into being. Now, if volition is a necessary property of the first cause, in addition to intelligence and power, um, um, eter eternality, spacelessness, and immateriality, um, if volition is also a necessary property, and if volition is a feature of the mind, then it follows that the first cause of the universe must be an unembodied personal mind, unembodied because there is no physical reality prior to the beginning of the universe. Um, so he would be an unembodied, immaterial, personal mind. Now, there's another reason to think that the first cause must be a personal agent. There are only two types of causes that can exist. There are event causes and agent causes. So either an event causes an effect or a personal agent will cause an effect. So what exactly is an event cause? Well, events are physical happenings. Event causes are dictated by the laws of physics. They're impersonal. And you can have a material event start, you know, this unbroken causal chain of causes and effects. So you have the moving of tectonic plates that causes the ground to shake. And the shaking ground causes the tree to fall. And the falling tree causes the roof to collapse. 
So you have one event causing another, and then that you know that effect becomes the cause of the next event, and so on. And so you have this unbroken causal chain where one event in the natural world causes another event, causes another event, and all of these causes and effects happen necessarily. Now, in contrast, agent causes are different. Agent causes are personal agents. It's a, a mind who freely exercises their powers of choice in order to begin a new causal series or to interrupt some other causal series uh, that's you know started by some event. Agents are the kinds of things that simply decide to act. So um, you know we might be able to distinguish an event cause from a, an agent cause by describing one as a what and one as a who. An event cause is a what. An agent cause is a who. Like if you say, well, what caused the tree to fall? You're expecting that there was some natural event that caused it. But in in the case of a murder, you say, who murdered this man? It wasn't a natural event. It wasn't an event cause, but rather an agent cause that you think is responsible. So there's a what cause and a who cause. And you can actually get a good idea of the difference between these two when you consider dominoes. And everybody likes to line up dominoes and create a very long chain. And then, of course, you know, you push one over and it falls on the next and they all just keep falling in this cool line. So imagine that you have all these dominoes and you're watching them fall one by one and each domino pushes over the next. And then you ask yourself the question, well, what caused each domino to fall? You can explain why the last domino fell by pointing to the domino that existed right before it and say, well, the the second to last domino had fallen and it fell onto this last domino and it caused it to fall over. Well, that's an event cause. And you can explain through event causation why nearly every domino fell in that entire line. In fact, you can uh, appeal to an event cause to explain every single domino falling, but eventually you're going to arrive at one domino for which there is no prior event to be able to explain what caused that domino to fall. And that's the first domino. To explain why the first domino fell, you have to appeal to a personal agent who knocked the domino over and thus began a chain of event causes. So you have a, an agent cause that knocks over the first domino starts a new causal chain, and then from there, event causation takes over by one domino falling on the next and that creating a chain reaction. So there's both types of causes at work that you can see and you can distinguish between them two. Well, like our dominoes, every event is going to require some prior cause. So when we ask ourselves, what about the universe? What caused the event of the universe coming into being? Well, it can't be some prior event because the coming into being of the universe is the first event. And it's logically impossible to have a, a, a prior event to the first event. The first event, if there was some prior event to it, it wouldn't be the first, it'd be the second event. And then you'd ask, well, what caused the real first event? And and if you appeal to some other event to try to explain that, well, then that's really not the first event, and so on and so on, and it never ends. 
That's why it's logically impossible to have an event prior to the first event. So if there are only two kinds of causes in the sense of event causes or personal agents, then it would logically follow by the law of the excluded middle that the cause of the universe must be a personal agent. If it cannot be an event cause, and the only other kind of cause that there could be is a personal agent, then it must be a personal agent. And unlike event causes, personal agents don't require a prior cause or an event to explain their causal powers because their causal powers reside in their volition. They have the power to choose to start new causal chains. They just decide. Um, We may have reasons that we choose to do things, and those reasons might influence our acts of volition, but they don't determine what we do. A deciding will is something that can move itself. Nothing else has to move it. It doesn't require a prior personal agent to cause it. It doesn't require a prior event cause. It can simply decide to do what it wants to do. Now, we may have reasons for choosing what we choose, and those reasons can influence our acts of volition, but they don't determine what we do. Something else doesn't have to move the will of a personal agent. They just decide. So we have good reasons then to believe that in addition to the cause of the universe being eternal, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, it also needs to be intelligent and personal. And since an eternal, spaceless, immaterial, intelligent, powerful, personal mind is what theists mean by God, then it's best to conclude that God is the cause of the universe. There is no other causal entity that could possibly meet all of these other properties that we have discovered for the cause of the universe. All right, so we have now looked at why God is the best explanation for the cause of the universe, namely that uh, God has all of the properties we had previously discovered that the cause of the universe must have, and there are two additional properties that the cause must have that God as a personal agent would possess, and therefore it follows that God is the best explanation for the universe coming into being. He is the cause of the universe. Next time, we're going to ask the question of which God or gods. Just because we have concluded that God created the universe, that doesn't tell us which God we have in mind. Is it a polytheistic God? Is it a monotheistic God? What sort of God are we talking about? What is the identity of this God? Can we narrow this down any further? So we'll look at that Uh, next time. And uh, perhaps as well, if we have time, we might even get into some of the objections to the conclusion of the Kalam cosmological argument in the next episode. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.